Kia ora, and welcome to Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, the podcast. This recording is from a webinar for alumni on the university's response to COVID-19. It was held by the university's Chancellor, Neil Pavia-Smith, and the Vice-Chancellor, Professor Grant Guilford, on the 14th of May. If you have any feedback, please email alumni at vuw.ac.nz. Welcome, everybody. We'll get underway. I'm conscious there are still people joining. Kia ora katoa. My name's Neil Pavia-Smith, and I'm the Chancellor of Victoria University of Wellington. Thank you all for taking the time to join this webinar via Zoom, in which uh, it presents an opportunity for you to hear directly from our Vice-Chancellor, Professor Grant Guilford, about um, how he's viewing things as the leader of our organisation. Uh, thank you for joining us from around the world and uh, wherever you are, I hope you are doing well in the current global pandemic. Um, by way of introduction, I just thought I might set the scene as uh, the University Council made some decisions uh, at our meeting about a week or so ago to guide the management and senior, senior leadership team through the period ahead uh, as we emerge uh, in New Zealand out of the lockdown into the next uh, alert level and uh, key decisions um, are made by management uh, regarding the university. As you're aware, it's, it's a period of significant uncertainty for the university, uh, most particularly as regards um, the impact on uh, students, uh, in, in particular our international students, uh, the numbers and uh, the flow on effect to revenues. And this places uh, considerable pressure and challenge on the university, on management, our staff and students. Um, we've been really impressed in the last few weeks by the response from our staff and our students to the challenge. Our university is world-class in terms of delivery of face-to-face -face teaching and shifting uh, very, very rapidly to an online uh, teaching method has posed real challenges, but uh, the staff have responded incredibly well, uh, despite the, um, the challenges there around delivering programs through new technologies and, and so on, changes to assessment methods, etc. Uh, we've also seen a big increase in the voice of our academic community in the media as trusted thought leaders and experts on key matters and in a time of crisis, uh, people look for those they can trust and it's been really good to see our academics um, taking the lead on a number of uh, public debates and, and other key matters. In terms of guiding management through the next stages, uh, the university's decisions and response are going to be guided by some key principles that the University Council has established. And the Vice-Chancellor will talk to the uh, talk around some of these issues in more detail, but just so you're aware, as valued alumni of the university, um, because there has been a number of media reports about issues um, for, for staff and potentially whether there may be uh, job cuts, redundancies, those types of uh, issues, depending on where our revenues lead. So uh, there are some key principles we've established which will guide the university. And the first of these is that ensuring that any decisions made are consistent with the university's core values. These are well established uh, throughout the university and um, are upheld through all of the processes that operate. 
decisions will also be guided by the university strategic plan. Uh, uh, late last year, we signed off on and published a new strategic plan to guide the next few years. And it has some clearly uh, distinctive attributes in that, including uh, honouring uh, the Treaty of Waitangi, um, students as genuine partners in the life of the university, and principles like governing for the future, which take on an interesting new context uh, as, as well. Um, we also expect there to be no significant change to government policy or funding of, of universities. Now that may change, but that is an assumption we're working on at present, despite uh, our uh, efforts and, and all of those who are connected to the university to try to influence change where possible. Um, An acknowledgement also that decisions that are made today will have intergenerational impacts on future students and staff and governance. So, uh, for example, we as a council are very reluctant to defer critical capital expenditure, which might undermine the future of the university, and transfer that responsibility and financial liability onto a future generation of the university. Of course, we need to be sensible. There are large sums of money involved for a public organisation. And we're a long established organisation, so we must make our decisions very carefully. But we're very mindful that uh, decisions can, can have a big consequential effect on the future. We also have an expectation that while there will be difficult decisions and trade offs to balance, especially for management, we do not wish to uh, have any impact on the university's reputation. Uh, as far as possible, to minimise the impact on our people, uh, to preserve jobs uh, to, the, to the extent we reasonably can. And decisions must be fair and reasonable. Um, we, we want the response to the current crisis to be proportionate to the risk. It's not going to be about balancing the books at absolutely all costs, but there needs to be a recognition that we cannot be a loss-making organisation uh, into the future. And we're going to regularly uh, review uh, how the organisation is responding to these pressures as we go forward. So I might leave it at that um, and introduce our Vice-Chancellor, Professor Grant Guilford. And Grant will take you through some of the, uh, uh, the steps and uh, consequences and, and other decisions that he's wrestling with at the moment and just how the organisation is responding to the challenge that's in front of us. Welcome, Grant. Thank you, Neil, and uh, welcome everyone. This is our first alumni Zoom hui, or Zooey as we're now knowing them as. Um, we're going to uh, take you through uh, some of the things that have gone well at the university in response to the um, pandemic and the things that haven't gone so well, and then just touch on what this might mean for our future. So um, COVID-19 uh, and the pandemic as a whole is the biggest challenge to hit universities here and around the world in living memory. In a matter of a few short weeks, universities have needed to change their entire delivery model to meet the demands of students and staff now learning and working from home. While at the same time, uh, we've had to adjust to a dramatic drop in income and the likelihood of a very different future. So I'll just give you a few brief remarks, first about what's gone well. So first and foremost, uh, most students will still be able to graduate on time and be able to pursue the lives and careers that they had envisaged. Of course, all things being equal with the post-COVID world. 
In other words, we're able to get our learning and teaching online, uh, shifting it from the blended model that we've used in the past and make sure that it was online quickly enough that the students were able to engage with that and continue to learn at the same pace they were learning before. Um, so that learning model that we have used here at the university for about a decade, the blended learning model, where we mix uh, distance education with on-campus education, uh, proved to be very resilient. It allowed us to switch the balance towards the online education very quickly because we had uh, a decade worth of experience with that delivery. Uh, and as a result, uh, meeting the needs of our students very, very quickly um, as we shifted out of the on-campus mode. Um, it's also uh, been um, important in that period to shift our student services online as well. And so everything from student advising to financial advising through to health and well-being, we had to quickly make sure that we could do that online. And that's not an, a small task. We have, um, for example, I take health and well-being. We have uh, 9,000 students in our Moriora, our, our health clinic. Uh, many of those students have critical needs, uh, particularly around anxiety and depression. And we had to make sure that we could ensure that they were well supported at a distance uh, with, a, with a few weeks uh, time that we had to plan that, that transition. Even in the difficult financial circumstances that university find ourselves in, we've been able to provide very substantial support to our students. Uh, we uncapped our hardship budget and uh, uh, so that any student who needed help could come to us through that. Uh, that now stands at $500,000 that we've committed to our students um, and it can, can continue to grow from here. Uh, it was good news to hear in the budget this morning that uh, Government has committed to topping up those hardship funds around the country. So they've allocated 20 million in the budget, uh, which will be distributed through university and other tertiary providers hardship funds. So we took the lead on that. Uh, we, uh, we asked government to uh, support uh, universities and polytechnics through that approach. And we're really pleased to see that happen. Uh, we've also been subsidising student accommodation. Uh, you wouldn't know it from the uh, adverse publicity we've received, but uh, we've subsidised that to the tune of $5 million so far. Uh, we've been spending about a million a week in keeping the hall staff employed, all the res residential assistants employed, uh, paying all the leases, etc., uh, keeping the rooms ready for the students to come back to. Um, uh, it was quite a generous offer compared to the other universities. Uh, and fortunately, uh, now that we're going into level two, we can put that behind us because uh, by far the majority of our students will be back as of Monday and uh, all those controversies will around what fixed cost students should pay versus uh, variable costs hopefully will be behind us. We've also committed to continuing uh, to pay all of our student scholarships. Uh, they amount to about $20 million a year and that's a big ask for us in a situation where we're facing uh, quite considerable financial challenges, but we've continued to do that. And we've also maintained um, hundreds of uh, students in fixed term tutoring roles and residential assistant and uh, research assistant roles. For most of them, uh, their, their tutoring wasn't needed or their research wasn't needed because we were in lockdown. Uh, but they were, uh, it was a good way to support them because of course they can't get employment at the moment. Um, and it was also a good way to help us switch to the online um, model because we had lots of um, digital natives around to help our staff um, adjust 
to getting their programs online and to test and provide uh, constructive criticism for those courses. You would have um, understood from our strategic plan that we've focused on being a capital city university and the nature of that uh, university, the context of that is a civic university, which um, is something that's been with the university sector for about 120 years, beginning in the mill towns and of Manchester and Bristol and places like that in the UK. And the idea of that is that you put your city first and you support your city. We give it a modern spin. We call it global civic because um, modern universities are not just about one city. They're about a, a wider region like for us, the Asia Pacific. But that meant that we had to think about ways to support the city beyond ourselves. And so the first big move we made in that was to offer a fees-free uh, scholarship to anyone affected by COVID in our community who wants to uh, switch into learning with us in trimester two. That's proved to be very, very popular. Um, there's already been 1,500 expressions of interest in that, so that um, people who might have been made redundant or people who are the dependents of someone made redundant or otherwise forced home from Australia or something like that, get enrolled and, uh, and get on with a fresh start. So that's been a, a good thing to do. We've also accelerated our payment schedule so that we can support the small businesses that rely on us. And we've made a, a big effort to maintain the uh, lease or to reduce the lease pressure on uh, the small suppliers like the food outlets on the campuses so they could help stay in business. Um, we've also, at a societal level, uh, been very pleased uh, with the contribution our staff have made and the staff of other universities to the management of the epidemic in New Zealand. Um, this has been quite heartwarming, if there's anything that can be heartwarming out of this uh, pandemic, because we were in an era leading up to this where uh, people were losing faith and trust in experts. Uh, people have had enough of experts, as the famous quote goes. Uh, yet in a time of crisis, it was very noticeable to see uh, university staff from across the sector uh, stepping up and ensuring that their individual uh, specialist knowledge, whether it be in public health or economics or in psychology or in sociology uh, or in philosophy, uh, be made available to New Zealanders. And to see the thirst for that knowledge has been very rewarding. Uh, because it has reinforced the role for my staff here at the university that this is an important role of a university. Uh, this um, critic and conscience role, but also this repository of knowledge role so that when society needs it, that knowledge is available. So that's been very good to see. <clears throat> now turning to the things that have not gone so well during the epidemic response, uh, the first one is revenue. Um, we've been significantly knocked on all fronts, uh, teaching research services and philanthropy. Um, in particular, as a result of the border and travel restrictions, our student fee-based revenue will be heavily reduced. Now, that's uh, mainly the international revenue, but it's had a flow-on effect to domestic revenue as well, because under the lockdown, um, many students returned home, and that left the halls of residence empty and all those costs I talked about before. The good news is, is that on the domestic uh, front, we are now um, uh, tracking how many students are going to return uh, on Monday. And it looks like as many as about two thirds of those students will return, even though they can access uh, our education online. So that's good. And it's around about what um, Otago and Canterbury uh, reported today as well in a, in a meeting of vice chancellors. So it's good that we are able to recruit our students back into our city um, and back into that on-campus experience. 
we were anxious about that because there is a level of anxiety uh, in our society. We've been successful in managing this virus by creating a sense of fear of um, transmission, fear of strangers, uh, and then uh, turning around and asking people to return back to the campus. We needed to reverse that psychology. So uh, with, a bit, with a bit of luck, that'll continue and we'll get most of our students back. Um, in terms of uh, what does that financial challenge mean for us? Well, we're forecasting a loss this year of between 30 to 40 million. Uh, that's an unmanaged loss. So the, the management team and staff will do their best to pull that back. Uh, that uh, represents about a $50 million swing from our normal surplus of about uh, 12 to 13 million a year. For the university sector as a whole, uh, we're anticipating a swing from a collective surplus across the eight universities of about 115 million through to a collective loss of just on 400 million. Uh, so that's um, an adverse swing of about a half a billion dollars. The international students also, um, of course, bring the nation a lot uh, well beyond university fees. They invest um, about $700 million per annum in communities in New Zealand. So those are the, the small shopkeepers, the accommodation providers, the, the tourist outlets, et cetera, that uh, benefit from uh, the students being here. And of course, most importantly, it's the pool of talent that uh, rep is represented by these very intelligent and committed young people who come to us uh, in our university from 115 different countries around the world. This has been a long worked strategy for countries like the US and Canada and the UK and the USA uh, and Australia to recruit the best minds in the world to join your country to fuel the knowledge economy. And at the moment, uh, with the borders closed, that's the big challenge for us as a nation in our recovery, is getting access to that pool of talent again and continuing to augment the great minds that we have here in New Zealand with that global talent. They also, of course, are important, uh, very important to the idea of developing cultural tolerance amongst our students. They broaden the experience of our domestic students. They open their eyes to different ways of thinking, different ways of being, and that's a very important part of the way universities operate. And we also should note that we've had a proud history in this area uh, as a country, dating back about 70 years to the Colombo Plan, uh, where we as a nation, along with other Commonwealth countries, decided to get behind the social and economic development of the ASEAN region uh, through education in this way. Um, so uh, this is a challenge for us. Um, we are beginning to see um, the signs that the government has woken up to the fact that there is a lot more to the international student market than might first meet the eye. It's not about university profits. It's about university capability and staff. It's about uh, having world-class universities in New Zealand for New Zealanders to attend because of the the investment those students make in their education alongside the government investment. It's about social and economic development of our neighbours. It's about partnerships uh, that develop between our young people and the international students, because about 70% of those students go home and they form uh, long-standing business partners or diplomatic relationships for us and act as advocates for us as a nation offshore. And it's about social uh, and cultural tolerance as well. So really important that we get that going again and we've begun to uh, get a little bit of a sense that the uh, previously implacable opposition to that by government may start to thaw 
uh, particularly as they began to get their head around the quarantine uh, proposals that we put in front of um, government uh, back in at the end of February. So that would be active quarantine and quarantine facilities, um, not um, uh, self-isolation. Now, when you're in a, in a period like this, uh, you also have to think about the opportunity that comes out of crisis and, and what the future might mean for, uh, that COVID might mean for us in the future. And um, I think a couple of things. One is that we will, uh, in the short to medium term, be much more active as a university and probably as a sector in non-degree teaching, in the continuing professional development, the executive education, the nano-credentials space, to ensure that uh, people who need rapid uh, bite-sized training uh, because they've lost a job and want to change uh, careers or because they need some retraining to retain the job that they've currently got. So you'll see us move um, uh, very heavily into that in the next few months um, uh, with a, a new structure that we'll put together, a new entity that we'll put together to support the long history we've had in this through the Centre for Lifelong Learning. You will see, I believe, a continued desire for international students to come to New Zealand. Uh, the silver lining in, in the um, strong border response and the COVID-free or potentially COVID-free um, country that we may have in the next month or two is, of course, that that can become quite attractive to um, students who would be prepared to have a quarantine period to come to a safe country like that. So we might better turn that around uh, and benefit from the situation that we're in. And we certainly know that with unemployment, we can expect many more domestic students enrolling in the university. We went back and looked at this and in the global financial crisis, we saw that trend and we've seen it in every other uh, downturn, economic downturn where we get more domestic students as school leavers can't find jobs, as people lose their jobs and unemployment climbs, they turn to the university for a change of path or for a strengthen of, strengthening of their career. Um, I think also uh, you'll see universities um, move into the hyper-competitive transnational education market. Now this is um, defined as an uh, educational model in which the degree-granting institution uh, is in a different country to where the students are studying. So in other words, uh, we'll look to dangle our brand out there in the um, world market and look to educate from New Zealand students in various countries around the world, particularly those in the ASEAN region. Now that, as I mentioned, is very, very competitive. And I've um, suggested along with um, one or two others in, uh, in the university sector that if we are going to do that, uh, we're probably best to do that as a group of universities together under a shared brand. And to be provocative, provocative I've suggested that that shared brand should be the University of New Zealand, um, which would uh, take us back in a virtual sense to the early 60s uh, and before that, uh, when we were all uh, part of a University of New Zealand system, all campuses within that. Now, I don't think that's the model we want to recreate. Uh, our university didn't do particularly well in that model because um, of the politics and um, other universities who shall remain nameless tended to do uh, better, get the lion's share of the investment. Um, and we played a very big role in uh, pulling apart that University of New Zealand uh, system. But the idea of um, 
of a sense of collective um, spirit uh, that New Zealand has developed uh, through this COVID crisis, uh, expressing itself in an online brand, brand that we share and operate offshore um, probably has some merit. And if we do go down that path, we'd probably couple that with utilising our university partner organisations offshore to deliver the classroom experience that um, our curriculum would therefore be able to be delivered face-to-face -face as well as supported online. So that's a, a reasonably um, exciting prospect to consider and one that will be part of our thinking into the future. I don't think that this is the end of university campuses. Uh, we do know that school leavers much prefer that social, um, intellectual and creative capital that goes with attending a campus with lots of other enthusiastic and young, young people uh, and vibrant uh, environments of, of um, guest lectures and, uh, and core curriculum and social events and the like. And when you overlay the structure of learning, uh, so the timetables and the architecture of learning, things like lecture theatres, you get a far better learning outcomes when you're dealing with an 18 or a 19 year old than you do with online learning. So I think that will still remain as our model. We might tilt the splendid model I talked about slightly more to the online and certainly in the adult education market. So uh, for the older student who wants to come back to the university to do a master's or to do um, a second undergrad degree, uh, that is where the online experience will become uh, the more dominant delivery form, but we'll still most likely have intensive periods on campus because even in that model, people still want to meet uh, and get to know their classmates uh, in a face-to-face -face way. And of course, we're also research institutions. Uh, and so um, it's very hard to imagine us um, abandoning our laboratories and our design studios and the like to only become a virtual organisation into the future. So that's really all I wanted to say. I'm really happy to uh, take any um, questions or comments or thoughts. Uh, any advice gratefully received. Uh, this is a really big challenge for us all to work our way through. To stay up to date with our latest podcasts, subscribe using your preferred podcast provider. Thank you to Te Korki School of Music alumni Kenyon Shanky and Stephen Patton for the use of their music. From Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, Haere rā.